What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, the other half of the podcast. Kyle, it's been a long day, man. Happy Sunday. Well, happy Monday when you guys hear it. Yeah, Kev, I could tell you got a little bit of sun from the beach, my guy. You want to dive into that a little bit? Yeah, my girlfriend's brother came home. Uh, he's in the military. Um, he is going into, I believe, fighter pilot training um soon so he kind of came home just to kind of hang out and he wanted to go to the beach with everybody so we all decided so let's just go have brunch go sit on the beach catch some sun i put on sunscreen like everybody does a little too late but at the end of the day it will turn into color Mm -hmm. yeah it'll it'll blend in nice in a day or two you'll be good yeah it doesn't sting or anything i put lotion on and stuff you know and i put sunscreen on once you know we were sitting there for a good like five ten minutes or so but I'm a fair-skinned Puerto Rican, man. We just tend to burn sometimes. Last time I went to the beach, bro, wasn't good. I got burned like crazy. Do you put but sunscreen on? I, I did. And the thing is, mm-hmm. I was like wearing – I was wearing clothes like the entire time, and I still got burned. I'm See, but you always on. got farmer's tans in college because you worked on the golf course. So I'm not do. surprised. I still do. Look at this. You can see that, bro. Like I, everything else, like everything else is still tan. I know you really can't tell because of the screen, but um, no, like everything from like basically like halfway up my arm up is like basically like pale white. But I don't like guys, I don't guys. It was so funny. Kyle would literally be so dark in the face and dark in his arms, but like the second Kyle had to take his shirt off or anything, it was like ah. Yeah, I know. That's why, like, I never really like took my shirt off, just because it, it's one. Th- First of all, you know, I mean, I could show off the guns every now and then, but it's like, oh, bro, like, God. it's gonna be such a color, like, the color is gonna be so different. It's like, bro, it's like it's an eyesore. So it's just, I like, I, I'm doing people a solid by not showing them that. You know, I'm. They should be appreciative that you know I'm not going out of my way, or that I'm going out of my way to really kind of make sure that, that they don't see that. Listen, keeping your shirt on doesn't just save people. It's it's just better for 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 you. Just there's nobody want to see that in general. I mean, I could say the same for you, but you know, I it, but it, I'm not muscular. I don't give a shit. I have tattoos. At least people could say, "Oh, that's cool." Yeah, it's your one little claim to fame, I guess. Two little claims, okay? Don't disrespect the the artwork, okay? <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But um, we got some. Topics to dive into, my guy. We got Super Bowl week coming up. We got this Pro Bowl to basically rip apart. And then we got some good NBA topics to go over. So you ready to dive into it? Yes, sir. All right. So instead of just going through the list of topics that we're going to go over, we're going to go one by one today. So we're going to do a little bit, something a little bit different. So you guys will get a little bit of a surprise, which each topic will come up. And the the first one is, you know, going to be pretty self-explanatory with the Pro Bowl. Let's just face it. The Pro Bowl has become a complete joke. And I could pretty much say that Kevin nor I did not watch it today. I mean, we did watch like little highlights uh, from it on Twitter. And it got to the point where they are no longer tackling in the Pro Bowl. They are now doing two-hand touch. And I know as somebody that watched the Pro Bowl as a young kid growing up, you know, seeing some of your favorite players play in the Pro Bowl and actually play in a competitive format was something worth watching. And up until this point, it has gone 180 degrees in the other direction to the point where they literally just just start throwing flag football for the Pro Bowl at this point and just kind of leave it at that. 
So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, what was your overall take from the Pro Bowl this past weekend? I mean, overall, like the side games sometimes are fun, you know, like dodgeball, you know, the foot race, you know, all the little things like the, 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 the incredible catch thing. Like I like the side games. Don't get me wrong. Those are always fun and fan favorites to see different positional players doing different things. I, I don't ever mind all-star festivities. Those are always interesting. But when you get into the actual game and it's basically a flag football game with pads, to me, it is an absolute waste of time. I don't care if the Pro Bowl is in Vegas, if it's in Orlando, if it's in Hawaii, if it's in Germany on ice. Like, if you're literally going to be two-hand touching people, I'm. it gives me less incentive to watch it. Now, I'm not going to be inconsiderate and say that the players' health are not important and that obviously, you know, they're working super hard all year round to try to keep themselves in peak physical condition. And there's no reason to injure themselves for a leisurely game or for fun. But what I'm looking at it as, if the NFL is looking for this to be entertaining, if the NFL is looking for this to remain uh, highly viewed and highly watched, like it used to be, or at least it was more back when we were kids, like Kyle said, but you're, you're going to sit here and tell me that people want to watch? Like, what, what does that do? Like, you have the best players, arguably, in the NFL assimilated together. or, or Assimilated, right? That's the word? Am assembled. I crazy? Assembled. Assembled. There you go. Uh, comic book fan. I can't even think of the Avengers. Stupid. That's how tired I am. Um, you have them all together in one place, and they're not even playing competitively. They're not playing for entertainment. They're just playing to say, you know what, I'm here. They're just participating for the incentive check or whatever it is that they get for being in the Pro Bowl. But it's not fun. Like There's literally so much of a reason as to why viewing has just plummeted over the last decade. It's, I just don't find it to be, you know, a good use of my time, but I, I, there's not really way, many ways you can alter it. I genuinely think it should just be flagged. Why put on equipment if you're not going to use it? Why put all this effort into setting up this game and making it, you know, uh, AFC versus NFC and you know, doing a whole weekend and practice for what I'm not touching you. I'm not hitting you. I don't want to get hurt. So why is this even played? I just I don't understand it. I, I genuinely don't find it to be fun anymore. And there's not really much else I can say. It's, it's just a massive waste of the NFL's money and a massive waste of anybody who watches its time. Yeah, I mean, for me, the Pro Bowl has become a complete waste of time. And really, like, this version of what the Pro Bowl has become is an absolute joke. Now, I remember back when I was early on, like, then, like, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, where guys would actually hit back in the Pro Bowl. Now, granted, they weren't probably playing at 100% speed. They didn't need to. But at least back then, the players that took the field, they at least understood somewhat of the competitive nature of the game featuring some of the best players from each conference in the AFC and the NFC. And I think everybody vividly remembers the, the Sean hit, uh, the Sean Taylor hit where he absolutely blew up a punter from the Buffalo Bills back in like 2005 or 2006. I forget the year specifically. Like, but it's like plays like that that made the Pro Bowl kind of interesting because you never knew what you could get. You could get a big hit or you could get a huge catch or you could get something that's worthwhile just as long as both teams were playing as like a spirit of the game. Like it was competitive in nature. This though 
with this two-hand touch nonsense, it's a waste of time. Like, I understand, you know, making a Pro Bowl, doing all the festivities with some of the best players from around each conference and around the NFL, that's all fine and well. Like, I don't mind that throughout the week. But it's like, if the end result is going to be a game where there's no, there's not really that much physical contact in the game anymore for the Pro Bowl. When you take that element out of the Pro Bowl, to me, what's the point of even watching it? I don't, I'm really kind of struggling to actually find one because at this point, it really should just be flag football, like you mentioned. Either that or you just put pennies on the guys. And then as soon as somebody gets close to an opposing player, then they just blow the whistle and then just mark the ball where the players got close without even contacting each other. I understand the the health perspective of it, but to me, I could kind of care less about what they think about that. It's just because if you're going to host a game where you have some of the best players from each conference playing against each other, make it fun. This is not fun. It's a waste of time. And basically, at this point, it's really nothing but a meme. Because... For someone like me to not even watch it and then just to find stuff on Twitter about it, like little highlights here and there, that's what it's become. It literally has become a meme. And I imagine, you know, NFL players that played in the Pro Bowl 15, 20 years ago are probably just rolling their eyes seeing what this has become because it's soft, Kevin. The Pro Bowl has become soft. And unless they do anything to change it, I think they... They should just get rid of it. It's a waste of everybody's time. Just send everybody home after you do the little festivities because if it's going to be this, it's not even worth it. This has just become soft, and it's an absolute joke. I mean, it's funny when you you mentioned that it, it just, you know, it's not the same, and players from 20 years ago are probably, you know, rolling around pissed off. Shannon Sharp tweeted about it today. You know, uh, obviously a Hall of Fame tight end, a Super Bowl champion tight end, a man who's played in the Pro Bowl so many times in his career, mm-hmm. and rightfully so. For him to come out and say, this isn't the Pro Bowl, this isn't football, like player safety. And again, Shannon Sharp is an advocate for player safety and, you know, getting hit, you know, protecting its players. Again, a former player. So, of course, he's going to advocate for uh, mental health and all of those different things. What I'm getting at is when you have former personnel that participated in these games and are making these points to say, well, just get rid of it or it's not fun anymore or it's not entertaining enough to watch, that's a problem. You know, fans like us, people that are nobodies, are irrelevant to the NFL. We're still going to provide them business watching these games all year long. The point that we're getting at here is that you are putting on an all-star game with the best considered uh, players from each conference, and you're not even putting them in a competitive atmosphere. It's literally Hail Marys, you know, trick lateral plays on defense, interception after interception. There's no fumble. There's no hard hits. It's just... The quarterback basically putting his receiver in a place to just go out and get the ball mm-hmm. or trick plays or double reverses or offensive linemen lining up as tight ends. It's not fun for me. It's not entertaining. And I think yeah. that the Pro Bowl, like Kyle said, at this point should just be watched. You know what I'm saying? It's not it's like there's other all-star games that are more competitive than this. Like even though the NBA is uh, not competitive until the fourth, at least they're doing something competitive in the fourth quarter. At least there's more of a show because it's consistent back and forth of an alley-oop, a, a three from the logo, you know, somebody doing some crazy handle trying to make somebody fall. Like the NBA All-Star game isn't what it used to be either, don't get me wrong. But what I'm trying to say is 
at least they do something to try to make it entertaining at some point in the game. Mm-hmm. I don't that the, the highlight of this Pro Bowl was your boy Mac Jones hitting the gritty on on a play that didn't even count. Like, how is that the highlight of the entire game? Like, what what are we doing here? I think it needs to be canceled. And it's that or just completely altered into flag football. Like I just, I don't even want to waste any more time talking about it because it's just so frustrating. Yeah. It's like, you know, if, if you're going to get a pro bowl selection, I, I mean, there should be a level of pride associated with that. And I imagine like these guys enjoy themselves while they're out in wherever it's being hosted for the week that it's going to be hosted for. But it's like, you know, if you're going to play the game and you're going up against top flight players, that also got Pro Bowl selections. You think there'd be a little bit more competition associated with that, but that's not really what it's become anymore. Because, I mean, Kevin, I think you can kind of speak to this. This is kind of something that I think we've both kind of seen just over time. You know, a lot of these players now, a lot of these guys are friends. A lot of these guys are buddy-buddy with each other. And, you know, despite, you know, going out in the field during a regular season and competing at a high level, a lot of these guys know each other very well, you know, not just on the field, but off the field as well. And I think when, when you tie that in together, what you lose with it is that competitive nature of, you know, actually competing at a high level, just because, you know, at that point, it's just more like you're going out there and just going through the motions. You're, it's not really worth anything. It's not worth actually going out there and, you know, competing at a high level this has just really become i don't want to say like a seven on seven even though it kind of looks like that right now but it just looks like a walkthrough but it just kind of at a higher speed and you know to me like i'm not saying that like these players have to hate each other to the point like where they want to beat the living shit out of each other on the field like during a pro bowl game but it has to be there has to be a middle ground where you're not going competitive like it's the freaking super bowl and not to the point like where you're just literally just going through the motions like there there has to be a middle ground here somewhere but with the way that it's been going the last couple of years it, it's more like just going through the motions and just trying to get to the end of the game so everybody can go home that's it and, the, and it's kind of sad it really is kind of sad because people are actually spending money to go watch the pro bowl which i find absolutely ridiculous like you actually spent money to just watch those guys go through the motions that that's a poor financial investment as far as i'm concerned for three hours of just guys literally just kind of half-assing it out there that's not a good look like if you're actually going to spend money on that like if you're going to spend money at least go to the super bowl because at least then you're going to see something that's actually competitive where guys are literally going to go toe-to-toe until the end of the game this this pro bowl mm -mm. you're getting the opposite of that and honestly you're probably just there to drink and just have somewhat of a good time that's it but, you know, and to be quite honest with you, I think, honestly, this may be a little bit fucked up from my end. The biggest hit came after the Pro Bowl. And I know we'll kind of get into that in a second. But we have to make a mention of it. Alvin Kamara, running back for the New Orleans Saints, uh, was arrested on a battery charge after the Pro Bowl. Now, there's not a lot to go off of here. All we know is the initial report that there was an altercation that took place in a bar outside of the Pro Bowl and Alvin Kamara was involved. And I guess one thing led to another. And now Alvin Kamara is 
I think in the Las Vegas uh, jail. Detention center or something like that. that. He's he's officially been charged with battery. Yeah. I mean, Kevin, just give me your, your initial thoughts about the whole Alva Kamara situation. I mean, it's it's like you said, there's not really much to go off of. All we know is that he was arrested and charged. There's no breakdown. There's no investigation in terms of details as of yet. I mean, for for all we know, the guy cracked Alvin Kamara, and because Alvin Kamara is a professional football player, he was immediately charged and detained. Um, it could be the worst possible thing. You know, Alvin Kamara got drunk and just cracked somebody. Like, we, just, we don't know enough, so for me to make a preempted segment or like give you guys an opinion – would be wrong because it's not fair to Alvin to give, you know, um, thoughts on something we don't have information on. So all we know right now is that an all pro pro bowl running back for the new Orleans saints has been arrested and charged as of thus, as of right now with assault, excuse me, with with battery and, uh, you know, got a lot to just, you know, sort through and figure out what's going on. Yeah. I mean, I imagine this story is going to be developing as the week goes on. Um, we'll, we'll get more information as we hear it. So I imagine uh, the Saints are probably going to make a statement. Um, more than likely, Alvin's going to get out on bond. Um, and I imagine he might say something um, a- after the fact. But, you know, we'll just kind of see how, how this thing goes. We'll, we'll keep an eye on it. We'll, we'll monitor it. But um, it's kind of crazy. Like, it happened right after the game. Just because I was, I was sitting at home and I was making dinner and then I get like these little notifications from Twitter every now and then. And the one that pops up is Alvin Kamara was arrested for battery in Las Vegas. And it was kind of funny because when I saw the notification on my phone, I thought it was kind of one of those troll tweets where somebody's just trolling about the pro bowl. Like, Oh, you know, Alvin Kamara had like the, the hardest hit in the pro bowl today. But when I was actually, when I actually hit the notification, I actually started reading. I'm like, oh no, he actually, he actually is in jail. Like that, that was the part that actually kind of caught me off guard because my first thing was like, oh, this is like a troll tweet. And then I was like, oh, well, that's not necessarily the case. He actually did it. But you know, we'll we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, I don't really know much at this point, but all we know is is that he's probably. Uh, I don't know if he's going to spend the night. In jail, I don't know if he's going to get on bump before then, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. But um, to keep it within the realm of the NFL, though, we do have a Super Bowl to cover this week. We have Super Bowl 56 coming up next weekend that is going to feature the Los Angeles Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, last week, we did a segment about reasons why we think that the Los Angeles Rams can win a Lombardi Trophy next week for Super Bowl 56. Well, now we're going to flip it. And we're going to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals have been a team that you could consider as a dark horse team that has rode the wave extremely well up until this point. And kind of shocking the world to get all the way to Los Angeles to play in Super Bowl 56 against the Rams. Led by guys like Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and many others to go along with them in their ride to Super Bowl 56. Now... Kevin, to pose the question to you, we talked about the Rams last week. Let's talk about the Bengals. Give me your reasons to why the Cincinnati Bengals can win Super Bowl 56 next weekend. Well, similar to what I said with the Rams, the one of the variables in which the Rams, the Bengals, excuse me, are going to have to be successful 
is going to be the offensive line. Um, the offensive line has been struggly, inconsistent. Like, I'm trying to think of, like, nice words to put. It's been trash. Um, they played a lot better against the Chiefs. Joe Burrow was able to adjust and escape the pocket and kind of extend the play with his legs in a couple of instances. But you are not going to be able to get away from the life-threatening conditions that are Vaughn Miller and Aaron Donald uh, that consistently. We all saw what happened in a Super Bowl last year where the quarterback did not have enough time and Patrick Mahomes and the passers of the Buccaneers was able to make his life not just a living hell, but just a nightmare. So I think for the success of the Bengals, the offensive line is going to have to play the greatest game of their entire lives and completely change the narrative to what it is that they've played the entire postseason, which has been inconsistent at best because in that second half of the Chiefs game, Joe Burrow had a lot of time. Joe Burrow was able to make good throws, and Joe Burrow was able to make um, great plays with time to make those decisions in the pocket. So the offensive line has got to play exponentially. Second, it's unfortunate, but it's all relying upon Joe Burrow. Now, the offensive coordinator for Cincinnati Bengals needs to understand that even if the offensive line plays the greatest game of their lives, they are still going to have to account for Aaron Donald and Vaughn Miller to get in that backfield at some point or another. So they're going to have to play a lot of this game in the gun and make a lot of these plays short, intermediate routes, get the ball out of Joe's hand quick, and really, really, really lean heavily on Joe Mixon. So I guess the next reliant or the next piece for them to win would be a good balance of a run-pass option, or excuse me, a run-pass offense because you're going to need to give Joe Burrow the ability to have a play-action pass and actually have the defense believe that that's going to happen. If you just have Joe drop back and throw it 40, 45 times, and then Joe Mixon only have 11 touches, it's not going to provide you guys with a successful you know, chance to win the Super Bowl. So I'm really sitting here and I'm looking. The offensive line has got to keep Joe clean. Joe Burrow and that offensive coordinator as a unit are going to have to put Joe and that offense in successful situations to move the ball down the field. And Joe Mixon's probably going to have to have one of the best games of his career, if not the best games of his season. And he's obviously the third or second leading rusher in the NFL this year. I believe he's right behind Jonathan Taylor. And then, of course, it's Nick Chubb. But overall, lean on Joe Mixon. Give that play action. Have Joe sitting in the shotgun and able to hit his other receivers um, in T. Higgins, in Tyler Boyd, and make sure that they keep Jalen Ramsey honest. You cannot shy away from the best corner in the game just because he's there. You have to be able to test him. You have to be able to keep him honest in terms of if Jamar runs a double move and he's with him, that doesn't mean you go away from it. That doesn't mean you just throw screens or just ignore him. Jamar Chase is a playmaking wide receiver, and he needs to be given the ball in order to give Cincinnati a chance. So overall, offensive line, Joe Burrow's got to make some clean throws with some uh, short intermediate routes, and Joe Mixon's got to have himself one hell of a game. Well, there's a few factors at play here for how the Bengals can win Super Bowl 56. I'm pretty much going to limit it to three, and I'm going to start off with the first one. So the first one, I'm actually going to start in the defense. The defense versus Cincinnati has played really well throughout this entire playoff stretch from their first game against the Raiders all the way up to the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game last week. And the one thing that really kind of stood out to me about that game against the Chiefs was that pass rush that pass rush in the second half against chiefs was able to get home because for that entire second half that chiefs offense was held in check patrick mahomes had probably one of the worst halves of football i've ever seen him play and it was because 
Cincinnati's defense was up to snuff in that second half. And when you hold a high-powered offense like the Chiefs to three points in the second half, that gives Joe Burrow and the offenses and the offense a lot of opportunities to work with to put up points for your team. So I think going into this game, that Bengals defense, it needs to get that pass rush home against Matt Stafford. And we did see that happen against the 49ers in the NFC Championship game because through the first three quarters, that Rams offense could not get much going. And if San Francisco's front four can get a pass rush against that Rams offense, I imagine that the Bengals are going to have opportunities to not only pressure Matt Stafford, but to get him on the ground and get some sacks on the board as well. So that's going to be a big factor. And then obviously they're going to have to play lockdown coverage against Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham Jr. and Van Jefferson. Really the main factor is Cooper Cup because Cooper Cup is having a phenomenal season this year. So if Cincinnati has any shot of winning on the defensive side of the ball, they have to lock down Cooper and they have to force Matt Stafford to either throw to OBJ or Van Jefferson to have any sort of shot on that side of the ball. Now on the offensive side of the ball, I'm going to be a little bit more broad um, with, with the points here for Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow needs to play within himself. This is a game where it's all about momentum. And we've seen in multiple Super Bowls where one turnover can entirely shift the momentum in the favor of one team if they're able to get a turnover or if they start scoring points. And with the way that the Cincinnati's offense has played throughout this postseason is that I think they've played within themselves extremely well. And they never let the game get too far away from them. And even when they were up, they weren't stupid with their decisions. So going into this game, as long as Joe Burrow is protected, and as long as he's given time to make some timely throws to either Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, or Joe Mixon out of the backfield, I think it's going to bode well for Cincinnati's offense. And as long as Joe is cool, calm, collected, I think they will have an opportunity to score points against that Rams defense. Now, granted, the Rams defense, I think, is a little bit more superior than what Cincinnati's defense is. But that doesn't mean that they can't be had. We did see that the Rams gave up 24 points in the second half against the Buccaneers in the NFC Divisional Round. So if the Bengals are able to get some favorable matchups as far as their formations are concerned against that defense, I think Joe Burrow can definitely take that task it can definitely take that defense to task, not just in like a drive or two, but for multiple drives throughout the Super Bowl. And then really the last point that I'll make is the offensive line. The offensive line for Cincinnati, they have to play better. Granted, I did think that they played a lot better against the Chiefs than they did the week prior when they played the Titans and gave up nine sacks. The only way that they're going to be able to win this game on the offensive side of the ball is if they're able to protect Joe Burrow and it all starts up a up in the trenches. If the Bengals are able to win the line of scrimmage against the Rams, that is going to bode extremely well for them, not just in the passing game, but in the run game as well, because it'll open up run lanes for Joe Mixon, and it will open up the play action where Joe can take advantage of that. And it's going to start with trying to basically double team and shut down Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald is one of the greatest defensive forces of this generation. So it's not going to be a single team block that's going to get him. He has to be double teamed the entire game. 
but that will give guys like Von Miller opportunities to exploit. So I would like to think that the Bengals would probably throw in some chip blocks against guys like Von Miller and Leonard Floyd as well. Both of those guys outside of Aaron Donald can create pressure against the quarterback. And those guys can dominate the line of scrimmage as well. So Cincinnati's offensive line is going to have their hands full with those three guys in particular. But if they're able to contain those guys, I think they, they have a very good shot of winning Super Bowl 56. And it's like we said last week, this is a game where I think both teams are very evenly matched. And just because the Rams may be the favorite in this game, that does not mean that the Bengals can go out there and get a win on the road in LA. I think they have all of the pieces to be able to do it. I think they've got the confidence and swagger to go out and do it. And as long as they're playing within themselves, playing within themselves, they play smart football. They don't turn the ball over. I think they have a very good shot to win Super Bowl 56 against the Rams. That's just how I see it. I mean, obviously we made our points last week for the Rams and we're making some points right now for the Bengals. Again, it, both of them truthfully have great opportunities to really win this game. Now, the point of the matter of what this game is going to come down to is who wants it more. That's what it always comes down to. That's what Super Bowls are about. Do Who has enough left in the tank? What team is going to push themselves to the literal end to get this win? Who's going to bring their team a championship? The Rams haven't had a Super Bowl win Obviously, since the Kurt Warner days in 2000 and what, one, two, before like, Brady had like, his first? Was, I think it was 1999. Which was the greatest show on turf. And then obviously the Rams have never won a Super Bowl in their franchise. So it's literally such a different tale. Matthew Stafford has never won a Super Bowl in 13 years. Joe Burrows in year two has had great success in his career in high school, in college. Now can he match that success in the NFL? The narratives are truly and honestly endless. We're just hoping for a great game because Kyle and I have talked about this several times on this show. Um, there have been plenty of games in sports that have should have been legendary, should have been iconic, and ended up falling flat. So regardless of the predictions, regardless of what we're saying could happen or should happen, we just at the end of the day want to have a really good football game, man. Yeah, I think that's what most football fans want. Even if their own teams are not playing in the Super Bowl, Listen, if you're a football fan and you get a competitive game for the Super Bowl, I don't think you can be mad about that. As long as it's entertaining, as long as it goes back and forth, I mean, that that's what it's all about. And like to me, you know, it, it's like we said last week. This game is a little bit different because it doesn't feature somebody like Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes, you know, really like the two staple quarterbacks that have been in Super Bowls the last couple of years. This is a matchup where you see someone like Matt Stafford, who has gone through what you can essentially say is like the gauntlet that is Detroit as far as the Lions go for most of his career. He gets a prime opportunity with the Rams. He takes the most of it, or he makes the most of it, excuse me, and ends up in a Super Bowl the first year with the Rams. And then you got somebody like Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow has been consistent all the way from his time at LSU, now transitioning as a NFL football player with the Bengals. He's making the most of his opportunities. And to be in a Super Bowl in his second year starting, it's a a hell of a feat. Not a lot of guys can do that. And with the team that that Cincinnati has assembled, you tie in all the confidence confidence and the swagger that that they present. I mean, it's going to be a dynamite matchup uh, for Super Bowl 56. And granted, you know, 
we wanted to talk about both teams ahead of time before we actually make our official prediction, uh, which will come later this week. But, I mean, all in all, it's really setting up to be a phenomenal game between both the Rams and the Bengals. And I know I can speak for myself and probably for Kevin as well. This is going to be a dynamite game. And I really can't wait for this matchup. It's going to be a fun game. It's going to be different because it's not Patrick Mahomes, not Tom Brady. But I think that's nice. It has a different element to the Super Bowl, unlike the last couple of ones that we've seen. So that's just me. Yeah. Hey, I agree completely. I just want a good football game, man. I'm not mad that the Colts didn't make it. Of course, I'd like to see them win a Super Bowl. It's been 15 years, of course. But I'm a football fan first. My team's out. We didn't even make the playoffs. So for those of you that are salty or for those of you that are Chiefs fans that are like, oh, I'm going to fuck Cincinnati. It's like, grow up. You lost to the hopeful, eventual Super Bowl champions. It's not like it was never going to happen. It's not like the Chiefs could never lose ever. I mean, you lost in the Super Bowl in an embarrassing fashion last year. So it's like, it happens. Get, it happens. get over it. Exactly. Losing happens. People are spoiled with their fan bases like New England. I can't speak for you, but I'm saying they're so used to success after success after success that when you guys lose or fall short, it's like, what the fuck? We got to get rid of somebody or this isn't right. Or we got to blow this up. Like, no, it's okay. Everybody goes through their droughts and their ups and their downs. It happens. Nobody wins forever. That's the point. So a change in two teams, a different matchup in the Super Bowl or the NBA finals, whatever it turns out to be, as long as it's competitive, I don't care. Though the Colts did you a favor by not going to the Super Bowl this year, because I'm just saying hypothetically, let's say the Colts made it to the Super Bowl. You gonna trust Frank Reich? No. In that play calling. In no. The Super Bowl in the biggest no. game of the year. No. I would. I don't know if I, guys. I'm not even. I'm not even going cap. I don't know if I'd be able to watch it. I'm so serious. I get mad in regular season football games that we're talking like week two to the point where I'm like I'm ready to blow the organization to shit. I'm ready to like walk into fucking Jim Irsay's office on Monday morning and be like, Jimmy, what are we doing, bro? What are we doing? Because this isn't this isn't <laughs> this isn't going to cut it. If my team was in the Super Bowl, I would have such anxiety. I would have to be in this office with the door locked, like with like soundproofing and like a straitjacket, because I would and a muzzle because I'd go nuts. I'll never forget. Um, it was the lead up to the uh, the Jaguars game in the last week of the season, and I remember we were saying like, God forbid, if the Colts were to lose that game against the Jags, like you would essentially like drive up to Jacksonville and say like, thank God. Like you didn't have like the, you didn't have access to the locker room for the Colts because uh, I don't think it was going to go down that well. If you actually had, uh, had access to the Colts locker room no. after that type of game. That's <laughs> when, that's when you wish up. you had, that's when you wish you had superpowers and like, you could like instant transmission yourself. Like, in the locker room, so you could just look at grown men and like three times your size and height and weight. It said, just start yelling at them, and then like you could just bloop, 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 like just like completely disappear as they as you as they get upset. I don't know. That's what like in, that's what it comes into my mind, man. Like on some nightcrawler type powers, like just guys, you suck, and like poof away and like be on someone's shoulder. I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm rambling, but yeah, no, I, I definitely could not. <laughs> I could not do this if the culture was involved. But, but before we transition into our NBA topics, if you had one question to ask Frank Reich after that Jags loss at the end of the season, what would you have said? 
Honestly, I would I I would just say, what was your game plan going into this? Like, what what did you envision against this team? Like, what did you see that the rest of us did not see? Is there a reason why we performed like garbage? And honestly, it starts with the defense because it, it they they went into that game and just got mowed down the first three or four drives that Jacksonville had. So, you know, you can't really blame the head coach for the defensive struggles because everybody was healthy. Um, they just weren't prepared. So, I mean, I guess technically you can say that's the head coach's responsibility for not having his team ready to go. And, you know, when you look at the episode on Hard Knocks, you just kind of look at it like, you know, people are in pain, but some people don't give a shit. And that just goes to show who's invested, who's not, who's upset, who's not. But this isn't about the Colts, man. It's about Super Bowl 56 and the teams that actually are relevant and good. Now, whether or not our teams are in it and your team being in the playoffs, at least, you competed. You had a shot. We took that shot away from ourselves, and that's it. I don't even, bro, I don't even, I don't even want to talk about football, about the Colts in general with my dad, who is also a Colts fan. So it's just frustrating. Well, I mean, what? It's February 7th. 7th now. Yeah, so, you know, we got five and a half months until training camp starts. I would say probably, what, seven months until the season starts. So, I mean, you got seven months of reprieve from from Colts talk unless something happens uh, during the offseason when it comes to either, like, drafting somebody or picking up somebody in free agency. But, uh. Yeah, we'll get into our off-season discussion in a few weeks. At least you get like a little seven-month break before they uh, before they start ramping it up once again. Yeah, so. I don't know how much of a break I'm going to get with the Mavericks giving me anxiety because that's all I have to go off of because baseball for sure shit isn't happening. Yeah, dude, that whole lockout situation, and it's not improving anytime soon either. So No, guys, they had to get a mediator because it wasn't a productive conversation in these in these meetings. That's how bad it's getting. Like Both sides are not agreeing at all, and they had to get a third party to come and split them up, basically. Yeah, it's just um, – it's unfortunate because I think, I, I think all MLB fans want this sorted out sooner rather than later. I think both sides want this sorted out 100%. sooner rather than later, but – not going well so far and we don't really see it uh getting better anytime soon but um i mean with that said we will transition into our nba topics uh the first topic that we're going to go over is karis lavert is now a cleveland cavalier uh both the Cavs and the pacers agreed to a trade where it would send karis lavert to cleveland uh in exchange for ricky rubio and i believe there was some draft capital involved as well i think it was like a first or second round pick uh, that Cleveland would send to Indiana in exchange for Karis. Now, Karis LeVert is somebody that has kind of been up and down the last couple of years, had some injury issues when he was in Brooklyn before he was uh, traded over to the Pacers. But now he gets to go to the Cavaliers, and the Cavaliers have been probably one of the most shocking teams in the NBA this season. Currently, they are tied for third place in the Eastern Conference right alongside the NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks, which is outright astonishing. I mean, to me, it's unbelievable that that Cleveland finds themselves in this position. And adding someone like Karis LeVert definitely adds some intrigue to what the Cavs can offer for the rest of the regular season. So without further ado, Kevin, to kick this one to you, does the addition of Karis LeVert make the Cleveland Cavaliers legitimate contenders in the Eastern Conference? I mean, I'm going to say yes, just because Lavert adds an offensive um, forte 
that Cleveland was kind of lacking at the guard position outside of Darius Garland. Um, I just have to say, first of all, I didn't know the details of the trade. And to be honest with you, I'm kind of disappointed that this is even possible. Ricky Rubio tore his ACL, and the fact that he was traded while he's currently rehabbing is kind of fucked up to me. Um, That's where I kind of get upset at the sports world for allowing these things to happen. I'm not saying that Ricky Rubio shouldn't be paid or that he should be paid or whatever. I'm saying how could you take someone off of a team that is injured? Like if you're injured, you should be untouchable just due to the fact that it's not fair that you're trading a player that's basically not touching the court for not only the remainder of this season, but God knows if he's going to be okay for next season. So that was my little rant on that. I had no idea Ricky Rubio was in this. So that goes to show sports or business first. It It matters not who the fuck you are. Um, but back to what I was saying, Chris LeVert, everybody knows, when healthy, is an offensive talent. He can shoot the long ball. He can handle the ball efficiently. He can distribute. He can do relatively everything you need, a hybrid one or a two guard. Obviously, he normally plays the two, but if he needed to bring the ball up and handle it, he can do that as well. What I'm getting at is Darius Garland now has a lot taken off of his shoulders at the guard position. So that backcourt now has a scoring and distributing point guard who can now properly facilitate without having to worry about shouldering the load offensively that he can now divert towards, you know, if I'm, if I'm a little cold, if I'm not in a rhythm, let me pass it to my wingman. Let me pass it to my, my, my right hand, you know, the, the Robin to Darius Garland's apparent, apparent Batman role this season. So they've already been good without Levert. They've already done well without Rubio in this lineup for over a month. So for you to just basically add in Levert for what to me looks to be free, it just, you know, unless the chemistry just doesn't work between Garland and and Levert, I don't necessarily see this as being bad in the slightest. Um, Indiana was falling apart. You know, the the trade to Indiana kind of just, it didn't work out. It was like Indiana ended up losing this trade, acquiring Levert in the three-team trade that happened last season. But, you know... They were able to get, uh, I guess, like a, a veteran point guard to back up Brogdon next season and, a, and a, I guess, a couple of picks from what Kyle said the trade was. But for Cleveland, this is an immediate win right now. You add an offensive weapon and you add a running mate to Darius Garland. We already know that at the big position with Jared Allen, Larry Markkinen, and, and, and obviously the rookie that I am just – it is escaping me his name, who is Evan Mobley or Mobley, who is leading all Rookie of the Year candidate votes – so, I mean, this team is no joke right now. And, you know, adding a named player like this offensively is going to make a huge difference for Cleveland's run in the postseason later this year. Yeah, I mean, this trade, I think, is, is a good move for Cleveland just because it really shores up their depth moving forward. And, I mean, Kevin, I mean, when I look at their depth right now, I, I've got my phone just with me just so I could list off the guys that, that they have on this roster. So... I mean, we'll talk about Karis LeVert in a second, but add Karis LeVert to a roster that includes Jared Allen, uh, Goodwin, Kevin Love, Rondo, Osmond, and Mobley, like you mentioned. Bro, that is a solid rotation that Cleveland has at their disposal. And, you know, when you add somebody like Karis LeVert, I think one of the things that you always have to keep in mind is, you know, his injury history. He has been kind of checkered in that aspect throughout his career. But despite that, He's been putting up solid numbers for Indiana this season before he got traded. So, I mean, currently he's averaging almost 19 points a game. He's averaging around three, four rebounds a game at about four and a half assists per game. These are solid numbers. Granted, they're not like tier one player stats, but 
for what Cleveland has at their disposal this year, I think it's going to work perfectly for them. And just to kind of go off what you said about his offensive capabilities, the game before he ended up getting traded, he dropped 42 points on 19 of 26 shooting. I mean, Karras could still ball out. I mean, and people have this idea that, that Karras has been in the league for a while. He's only 27 years old. He has a lot of upside and a lot of potential still left in his NBA career. Now, the thing about Cleveland that is very interesting is nobody really expected them to be in this position. I sure as hell didn't. And for them to be in the in tied for third place in the Eastern Conference this year, it's probably the biggest surprise in the NBA this season, bar none. And adding somebody like Karis LeVert, I think it kind of goes without saying. It's like, Cleveland was already playing like a top-tier team in the Eastern Conference to begin with before they picked up Karis LeVert. Now that you add Karis LeVert into the mix, I'm saying that they could possibly go for a two-seed this year, which would be absolutely outstanding because I don't even think I had Cleveland as a playoff team this year. And for them to go all the way up to potentially a two-seed if they play their cards right and they really start winning some big games down the stretch, I think it would be absolutely phenomenal. So Karras is a huge piece for this team moving forward. I hope he plays up to standard for them because this is going to be a legitimate playoff team with or without him. But if he's playing up to stuff and he plays his cards right, I'm not saying that Cleveland's going to go to the finals. That's too much of a stretch for me to say. But they could make some noise in the Eastern Conference playoffs this year. And I think adding somebody like Karis LeVert into the mix, I think it makes him a legitimate contender. That's just how I see it. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like you said, whether or not LeVert performs, kind of irrelevant because they're doing so well. Now, the negative to him performing bad is that throws the chemistry off with the team. That could end up causing friction in the locker room. There's a number of things with how trades work and obviously the pros and the cons. But like Kyle said, I don't really foresee this being a big issue. LeVert isn't known for having a big personality like a the person we're going to talk about next. But overall, it is definitely a win-win situation to me in this trade uh, situation for Cleveland. So good for them making a run and obviously making themselves um, known and making themselves present without LeBron James because that's always been their biggest narrative. They only win when Braun was there. And now that they're you know creating their own identity with this young core, I'm really kind of happy for them, all jokes aside. Yeah, and a lot of people pretty much wrote off like Kevin Love's career after Braun left for the second time because Kevin Love was the only guy that ended up staying there. Kyrie ended up dipping to Brooklyn, Braun went out to L.A. Kevin despite- made a business decision, though. Kevin Love said, bro, I don't want to play. I'm about to make this money. You Thank ain't getting rid of me. But But now he's in a great situation. And, and it, when you look at Kevin Love, Kevin Love doesn't have to be the predominant force or the primary factor on that team. When you have so many young guys to work with, you know, guys like Jared Allen, you have guys now like Karis LeVert, you have Mobley, you have Darius Garland. I mean, you have some marketing, really good, you have good talented like, people, bro. Bro, like that's a solid squad that they have around there. It's not like Kevin Love has to go out there and play what 35 40 minutes a game he doesn't have to do that anymore it's not like he's like pulling like what he used to back when cleveland was making title runs when braun was there for his second stint so 
I mean, despite Cleveland not really being a team that I gave a lot of hope for at the beginning of the season, they've maximized these young guys at their disposal. And they are making the most of it. And, I mean, when you look at the Eastern Conference standings right now, I mean, I'll pull them up just so I have them here. I mean, they find themselves right alongside the freaking Bucks. I mean, who would have thought? I, I would have never imagined a scenario where, actually, they're in fourth place, I think, because how the games were. So they're a half game behind Milwaukee. So they are in fourth place. Still right there. It's but, the point. But it's like, Kev, they're only a game away from first place in the Eastern Conference. One game. Because the Heat are number one and the Bulls are second. I mean, who would have thought that? I mean, I remember we were like thinking like the Knicks were going to be a top four team in the East. Did anybody have any sort of expectation that the fucking Cavaliers were going to be top four in the East? No way. But they have made the most of it this year. I, bro, I got to give them a lot of credit. 100%. And that is in, to, in turn for the GM of the Cavaliers for making the trades, pulling the trigger on the Rondo piece, drafting Mobley, keeping Kevin Love on the roster, making the move for Jared Allen last season. Everybody was making fun of Cleveland when they were doing the things that they did in the offseason, especially going out and getting Larry Marketing because no one understood what the hell that was about. But it ended up paying off. Darian Garland is blossoming right before our eyes as a great point guard and a good pick in this league. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, Cleveland is really laughing at us for doubting them. Well, yeah, and they have every right to. And, I mean, hell, they have a good veteran presence in freaking Rondo. Rondo's on the Cavs. He's actually providing good minutes for them. So, I'm not saying that, that Cleveland's going to ride this all the way to a finals appearance, but... I you never know. Bro, it, you they never possibly, know. Bro, they could possibly make an Eastern Conference Finals appearance. They if, play if, like this. If, if they can keep this consistent and if they can make a healthy run in the postseason, because the biggest thing that they're missing aside from consistency is veteran presence in the postseason. Like, obviously, Kevin Love is there and obviously Rondo's there, but like meaningful people, meaningful minutes, marketing. Garland, like people have never been in a postseason that are consistently touching the ball. Like, yes, they'll have veterans in the locker room to keep everybody composed. But we've talked about this several times in the NBA. It's a best of seven games. Like, yo, you could get in a slump, and that'll be the worst time to get in a slump because you yeah. just genuinely have never been put in that situation before. It don't make no difference how many times Kevin Love pulls you to the side and says, keep shooting, young buck. You still got to make the shot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's where I see this team coming into a little bit of its its struggles. And again, we're only at the halfway point. So te- exactly. Like they still have a whole second half of the season to like kind of get that shit together and kind of get everybody comfortable with one another. So I'm not going to be premature and even say they make the Eastern Conference Finals. But at the rate that they're going and the way that they're ascending as the season has progressed, I would not be shocked if they made a run in the playoffs come May. I think safe to say at this point, they have people's attention. Oh yeah, they certainly have mine. Right, right. And I think I think I think across the league, I think they've, uh, I think they definitely made a name for themselves, and I don't think people are going to sleep on them uh, towards the second half of the season and then going into the playoffs. I, th- no. I think they've, I think they've earned that. So, hundred percent. Good, Cle- good on Cleveland, though. This is a good trade. Getting Karis Levert, I think it's a great move. Great. So, you know, we'll see how it turns turns out. But I think, uh, with all that said, 
I think um I think they're gonna be in a, a good position. That's just kind of how I see it. But um a team that's not really in good, a good position right now, that is the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, we did talk about them a little bit last week. That was when they were on a six-game losing streak. Well, now that losing streak has now blossomed to an eight-game losing streak after they got, I mean, for back, for lack of a better term, clapped by the Denver Nuggets um, this past weekend. I mean, they lost to the Nuggets by 20 points on the road. And really, this team, if the playoffs were to start today, they would actually find themselves in a play-in tournament situation when just a month ago, they were at one of the top spots in the Eastern Conference. And it really kind of goes without saying that Brooklyn has really kind of fallen apart at the seams since Kevin Durant suffered a knee injury that was going to sideline him for the next couple of weeks. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with the Brooklyn Nets on an eight-game losing streak at this current moment in time, who do you think is most responsible for this Nets' latest skid? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be straight. Um, Kevin Durant not having played since January 15th is significant in and of itself. One of the best players in the NBA is not available due to injury or not available because of whatever. Um, your team's going to struggle. Obviously, the Lakers are struggling without LeBron James. Obviously, he came back the other night against the Knicks, but that's neither here nor there. What I'm trying to say is you can really look at this in a lot of ways. The Nets have never been a good uh, defensive team. The Nets are missing, obviously, Kyrie in home games. The Nets are missing Kevin Durant as a unit. But I'm taking this to the point of I'm putting this on James Harden. And I'm going to be frank. If you guys saw my Ben Simmons and Giannis Antetokounmpo video from a couple of months ago, you know where I'm going with this. James Harden is one of the best players in the NBA, despite whatever it is of my feelings towards him because he's someone that likes to flop and throw and flail his arms and try to draw fouls and all the step backs and throwing his feet in front of him, whatever, right? He's still one of the best players in the league. People like to make the argument that if he gets a championship, that he's going to be revised, or excuse me, like reviewed as a top five shooting guard of all time. That's a conversation once again for another day. I'm just letting you know, like that's the hype behind James Harden if you aren't already aware. Now, James Harden hasn't been in the media for anything good in the last couple of years. Forced his way out of Houston, wasn't happy in Oklahoma City when they didn't pay him, and obviously he has been in the media now as of late to be tied to being traded to Philadelphia, whether that be this offseason or at the trade deadline. Now, rumors have been circulating on and off for the last week or two that James has publicly not been happy with his situation in Brooklyn. Now, I don't know the exact details to where. I don't know if he's happy with the living situation. I don't know if he's not happy with the strippers in, in Brooklyn. I don't know if he's not happy with the team. And to me, it don't make no damn difference, right? You wanted to go to Brooklyn. You wanted to play with KD again. You wanted to play with Kyrie. And now because shit's rolling downhill, you guys are losing. Now you want to jump ship again. This is the problem with this generation's players. The second you hit a slump and the second you hit a struggle, you want out. And that's the problem that the NBA has given the players too much power. Uh, to me, if I'm paying you million upon millions of dollars, bro, I don't give a shit how unhappy you are. You're stuck here. I invested my future in you. I just made a crazy trade to Houston, gave a bunch of picks out there and all of this shit, right? Just so you can come and play with your friend, Kevin Durant. That's what you said, right? You want to play with some of the best players in the NBA. And obviously that ended up being Kyrie Irving, who was going through his situation with COVID, and then obviously Kevin Durant, who's been dealing with injuries for the last couple of weeks. And now because you guys are ninth in the East on an eight-game skid when your team needs you the most, 
you want to jump into the media once again, whether or not this was information that was leaked, whether or not it's because you said it to a friend that that friend leaked it to the media, it makes no difference to me. You're not in the media for anything good right now. I don't care about your situation in Brooklyn. You knew what you were going into when you asked for a trade to Brooklyn from Houston. I don't know what you expected it to be. It's New York fucking city. It's winter. It's cold. Like, Kyrie Irving is Kyrie Irving. Nobody knew COVID was going to be the way that it is right now. No one knew that the mandate was coming. Like, you just have to accept it for what it is. You can't jump ship because you're upset. You can't just ship, jump ship because you're losing. These players throw tantrums. These players have so much to say. And then when they get on the court, they either have a lack of effort or they just have an attitude. And it's like, bro, man up, play the game, try to win, and do what you got to do. They're paying you mad money to play basketball. And you sitting here bitching about, I'm not happy in Brooklyn. I want to go to Philadelphia. Whether or not, again, that's coming from you directly. That's what's in the media right now. And it's coming from somewhere. I know that you take what the media says with a grain of salt nowadays because stories just come out of the woodworks. but. Kyle, we've been hearing literally, like I said, for the past two weeks, James wants out. James wants out by the end of this year to go to Philadelphia. Then we hear that Brooklyn is willing to trade him at the deadline. Then today or yesterday, Steve Nash says that they're not trading James Harden. So it's like there's too much inconsistencies in this front office for me to believe anything right now. James Harden wants to go to Philly because he's having a shit time in, in, in Brooklyn. What if Philly falls apart? Where do you want to go then? Huh? Do you think that you're going to automatically put them in a better position? They're a top three seed in the Eastern Conference. What the hell are you going to do? You're going to take shots away from Joel Embiid. You're going to fucking make them a drama team because they already have Ben Simmons, who's not included in any of these trade packages, by the way, just in case you guys are wondering. So it's like, do they really need two divas? Do they really need two drama queens? Because that is the legacy that you're leaving behind. Wherever it is that you go, drama is following. Brooklyn is not focused right now and one of their best players isn't giving it their all and he's focused on bouncing if i'm somebody in that locker room i'm looking at him and saying bro can you shut up like seriously can you like play basketball like how you've been in locker rooms you know what it is if someone's consistently complaining to you on the team or consistently bitching to to other players and other teammates and other coaches does that not provide like some kind of animosity or frustration in the locker room when you guys aren't doing well and I, again, I'm changing the subject to you, but I got to hear your opinion on this because to me, this boils my this boils my blood. It's just like James Harden has become such a diva that it's like, bro, just just play the game, bro. Yeah. So when it comes to the whole drama situation, James has always been at the focal point in that regard, really since Houston. And really, like when it comes to James Harden and the way that he left Houston, I thought that whole situation that he was responsible for was just childish petty and just flat out immature and, and i'll never really forget like w when james showed up to uh the warm-ups for like the first time when he was with houston last year i mean kevin like we've all saw the jumpsuit videos where it looked like he was looked like he was like 25 30 pounds overweight it's just based off of what he was wearing it really kind of showed me that despite whatever James has as far as skills on the basketball court, he's about me. It's all about me. It's not about the team. It's about me. And the way that he forced himself out of Houston, that really goes to show, you know, what he thought of himself, that he was the driving force of that team. 
And I'm just going to, I'm basically going to leave Houston in the wake of my decision because of that. Well, now you transition into Brooklyn and it hasn't even been two full seasons yet. And James is already saying that it, it's time to bounce, whether he's saying that publicly or privately, I guarantee you this off season, if he gets an opportunity to leave, he is going to bounce 100% because I think he just looks at the, the, the dynamics of the team, the way that it's set up. He doesn't see a winning formula or he doesn't see a formula that is going to work out well for himself after the season comes to an end. Because when you look at the current situation that the Nets are in, they've lost eight straight games. Kevin Durant is still going to be out for the next couple weeks. Kyrie Irving is only playing away games because he can't play home games because of the COVID mandate that New York City has. And it's a situation where it just seems like the team is falling apart at the seams. And it really doesn't seem like it's going to recover in any sort of way until Kevin Durant comes back. And really the only way that I see James Harden actually coming back to Brooklyn is if the Nets were to somehow revamp their entire play to get back to the top of the Eastern Conference and then carry that all the way to a title this year, which I do not foresee at this point. Because, I mean, they're they're still in the playoff race at this current moment in time, but they would find themselves in a play-in tournament situations if the season ended today. That's how bad it's gotten in Brooklyn. And I do think that James is definitely one of the pieces that is responsible for the level of dysfunction that the Nets have at this current moment in time. I don't believe it's solely on him. I think there are other factors at play. Kevin Durant's not available. Kyrie Irving in his COVID stance, whether you agree with him or not, it is costing Brooklyn wins potentially in the win column. So there are a lot of factors at play, but if I really had to point to one specific person who's probably most responsible I would tend to agree with you. It is probably James because he is the one that is probably stirring a lot of the drama with this team because Kyrie does have his COVID stance, but Kyrie's been very, uh, Kyrie's been very, uh, con not convincing, but he's held Pat on that stance throughout the entire year. And he is not going to back down on that. James is going to make it for what it's worth and the opportunity that he has with Brooklyn and as far as I'm concerned, if you're going to leave Brooklyn, at least leave Brooklyn on a good note. Go out there, try to be the best player that you could be on that team. And then when it comes to the offseason, you know, find a situation that is best for you moving forward. But yeah, James is probably the person I would look to saying that he's probably the, the one person who's causing the most dysfunction. I know a lot of people would say Kyrie just because of his COVID stance, but Kyrie's going out there and playing. Kyrie's giving it his all. James can do that, but he does it in spurts. I just, it just doesn't really bode well for Brooklyn this year. I, I just don't see it. And if I'm going to lay it at the feet of somebody who's most responsible, I'm going to say James. So I would tend to agree with you on that. Yeah, if you forced your way into Brooklyn, you said, you, you know, all this shit about, you know, wanting to play with some talent, wanting to have teammates that can actually, like, be at your level or take responsibility or take shots like yourself, like all the things that he said last year when they assembled this, this trio. Um, 
and 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 for you to now completely do a 180 because it's not going the way that you had expected is the equivalent of a toddler getting a toy that he wanted and then the toy breaks and then he's mad at the toy like are you are, bro you're the idiot that broke it you know what i'm saying like you're the problem that's making it worse i mean for god's sakes dude even even paul Millsap wants out like mm-hmm. a free agent that took a big pay cut to come and play for a championship, and, and and you're sitting here, you're ruining it for them. A veteran that's on the older half that you know is trying to just be competitive in the Eastern Conference and try to win, and and and, and you're making it to the point where your teammates don't even want to fucking play with you. That's that's just too much for me. That just screams dickhead. <laughs> like like it's like you said, it's about me. And I get it. Everyone's out to get theirs. But when it comes to a point where you bash the previous team because they didn't help you, you're not looking much better, my guy. Like, mm-hmm. what, what else am I supposed to say here? Mm. It's just, you know, it's just, it's kind of crazy that, you know, I understand Kevin Durant's a great player, you know, top two, top three in the league. And you take that presence away from the team and the team utterly just falls apart. They're just not the same team anymore. I mean, really, when you kind of look at it, I do think that KD is the glue of that team. You remove that element, the team's going to fall apart. You've seen the last eight games or so, and God only knows that it could probably get worse. That team could potentially lose like 10, 11 straight with the way that that roster is assembled because that's how they built the roster. They built that roster so top-heavy with, you know, I would say average role players, probably the best role player that they have at their disposal is Patty Mills. Uh, and maybe... Because who's um, been really good for them this year. Yeah, he's he's been consistent with them. Joe Harris has been dealing with injury issues, which doesn't help. And overall, it's just the Nets are just in a very precarious situation until KD gets back. But I do think when KD gets back, I do think that the drama will subside a little bit because... I think the drama is getting intensified because they're losing. But I think if they start winning, the drama may subside a little bit, or the chirping about the drama will subside a little bit. Probably. Like anything else, yeah. Because winning winning does solve some things. Granted, there's some underlying issues at play, but at least if you're winning, it, it acts as a buffer to all the drama. So they gotta find some ways to win some games. I think if they do that, they could turn the tide or at least try to get back to, you know, a decent level of play because bro, the last week and a half or so it, really the last two weeks. No, no, it's been bad. It's been it's bad. Been, it's been bad. But you know, with that said, we're going to transition into our last segment for the episode. And that is going to be on Russell Westbrook. So I think it is clearly obvious to anybody who is paying some attention to what the Lakers have been doing this season. Russell Westbrook has been a point of contention for the Lakers throughout this entire season. And it has gotten to the point where his performances have been subpar, to say the least. The Lakers just beat the New York Knicks this past weekend. And in that game specifically, Russell Westbrook played 29 minutes and scored five points. And it's getting to the point where the fans in the Crypto.com arena, 
compared to when it used to be Staples. That's a name that I'm never going to get used to. That's Staples is just Staples. I'm just going to call it that. Where fans are basically actively booing Russell Westbrook if he's thinking about shooting the ball. It has gotten to the point where it doesn't seem like Russell doesn't have the confidence to even shoot anymore because I think it's all in his head. And the team has suffered because of that, just because Russell was brought in to be a focal piece of that team. And it's safe to say that Westbrook has struggled mightily in stretches for the Lakers throughout this season. And the record does indicate that they are sitting at 26 and 28, a sub 500 record. And they are kind of clawing for a playing tournament situation at this current moment in time. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with the way that Russell Westbrook has been playing this season, is there any sort of way that you could see him salvaging this season with the Lakers moving forward? To be blunt, no. Um, Kyle, we got the receipts. We said this would happen. Not to this extent, but we said that Russell and Braun, it was not going to work. We said that two ball-dominant players were not going to be able to coexist, especially with Brody's personality. We said that Russell Westbrook is a person that needs to have the ball in his hands at all times. And in situations where he does, ill-advised shots, turnovers, or hot-headedness and not getting back on defense or just playing bad defense as a whole. Um, Russell Westbrook has been a perennial all-star his whole career. We all know he's Mr. Triple-Double. We all know he's somebody that has incredible court vision, goes out there and gets contested rebounds, has been athletic to just attack the rim and just completely explode and have some flashy highlight dunks. But when it gets down to it, genuinely, Russell Westbrook is a player that is incapable of playing off the basketball. And the reason I say that is because Russell Westbrook cannot shoot. Russell Westbrook is not someone that could sit in the corner when Braun runs the offense. Russell Westbrook's not a person that I would rely on to take a mid-range shot to come off of a pick or a back door or a pin down. I just genuinely... Russell Westbrook is a person that needs the ball to get other people involved. If he doesn't touch the ball, I'm pretty much okay with him not touching it at all. And I'm pretty sure that's why he didn't play in overtime against the Knicks or in the fourth quarter or whatever it is. Russell Westbrook only had 29 minutes because he just can't be trusted with Braun on the court. Like, I just, I'm not benching a $40 million man. And I get it. Russell Westbrook has the potential to go out there and drop 25, 10, and 10 on any given night. But when you're providing more struggles on the court than good, I, I just can't trust you. I mean, for God's sakes, fans in Los Angeles and New York and Philly, they're going to boo no matter what. The second a player does good, they're going to cheer for you like crazy, like their life depended on it. So fans booing is irrelevant. That's going to happen in any major city. But what's crazy to me is you made the trade to get rid of Kyle Kuzma, Caltavius Caldwell-Pope, Montrez Harrell, and future picks, right? Like the Lakers unloaded everything mm -hmm. for one man. And what has this one man done? Nothing. He's had a couple of triple doubles here, a couple of sports center top 10 highlights there, um, some flashy plays to maybe make, you know, fa fast breaks look cool, like Showtime-esque. But has Russell Westbrook really done anything to make the Lakers better? I mean, for God's sake, they're under 500. And a lot of that is due to Anthony Davis and LeBron James all having miscellaneous injuries throughout the entire year. But when Russell has the ball in his hand, I'm not sitting here saying, ooh, this is exciting. The Rob Polinka as the Lakers GM has failed. 
in my opinion, exponentially. Russell Westbrook was a terrible acquisition. For, for, for what it's worth, you bring the band back together and you try it again from last year. Last year, you didn't do good because Anthony Davis got hurt and LeBron James wasn't 100%. You run it back with everybody, and I think that you would be in a whole lot better of a position. Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell-Pope are fucking great shooters compared to this guy. I mean, for God's sakes, he's been on SportsCenter, and by he, I mean Russell Westbrook, for shooting the ball over the side of the backboard more times than I care to see from someone of Russell's magnitude. Now, when you look at it in the long run, he's basically untradeable. He's not playing at a high efficient level for him to demand any players in return. No one's going to give up future picks for someone that's in their 30s and has a contract that expensive. And the Lakers genuinely don't have enough capital to even package anybody because they have a bunch of old players. So in reality, the Lakers handcuffed, tied their feet, and literally put a muzzle or a bob in their mouth, and they're stuck with this lineup, and they're stuck with this roster. And unless Russell magically learns how to play off the basketball and develop a jump shot, the Lakers are only going to continue to get worse. Dude, it is bad, and it's only getting worse the farther the season goes along. I mean, Kevin, I don't really know what else to add more than that. I think you hit it on the head here. I mean... When you look at Russell Westbrook, I mean, you and I can both recognize the insane amount of athleticism that this guy possesses. I mean, the guy is a freak of an athlete, whether he was with the Oklahoma City Thunder or even with his time with the Lakers. But just because you're an athlete doesn't make you a superstar shooter. And when you see some of these shots that he's taken this year with the Lakers, Some of these shots have been just outright atrocious. I mean, Kevin, I'm not a professional basketball player. You know, I don't play at that level. I would never be even that close of being that good if I was in a position like that. But Russell's been in the game for over a decade. You would think by now that his jump shot would at least be consistent as far as from the field. Because we've seen Russell Westbrook get on good stretches where he could shoot like 45, 47, up to like 48% from the field, which is not bad, which is a respectable percentage to have. But this season, it has looked utterly atrocious. And it's kind of odd because coming off of the season that he had last year with the Wizards, that year with the Wizards was one of his more productive seasons that he's had in recent memory. And then it's followed up by this abysmal season. I mean, to kind of kick it to that Knicks game, Kevin, he was one of 10. Five points in that game. It got to the point where he was benched in overtime because Frank Vogel just doesn't think that he's a reliable option when it comes to crunch time situations. And when somebody's getting paid in excess of over $40 million and they're getting benched because they're not a reliable piece to go with, that says everything that you need to know right there. And they're in an they're in a impossible situation to trade him, like you mentioned, because who in the hell is going to take that cap hit on their payroll moving forward? It's not worth it. And the Lakers were idiots to pick that up in the first place, because at least when they had like Kyle Kuzma, Montres Harrell, and KCP on the roster, at least those guys could shoot a little bit better and were a little bit more consistent than Russell. 
Russell this year has looked absolutely awful in stretches. There's been some games where he's looked decent. That game against Charlotte where he scored 30 points in the second half, scored 35 points overall in that game, you know, looks fine. But it's like one good game out of like 10. And it's just too inconsistent for the Lakers to work with. So, I mean, I'm in full understanding with Frank Vogel looking at the situation with Russell Westbrook and saying he's not worth putting in in crunch time situations because you just can't rely on him. And Russell, through just, I don't really know how to say this, but it's just Russell doesn't know what pace to play at because Russell, there's only one pace that he plays at, and that's just play downhill. That's that's the one thing, bro. It's like you have to be able to adjust pace depending on the situation at that current moment of time in the game. Russell has never been able to adjust that. And as a point guard, as you get older, you would think that you would learn some of those nuances and some of those intricacies at that point guard spot. He hasn't. You look at somebody like Chris Paul. Chris Paul has mastered that. Chris Paul is still playing at an elite all-star level. And Chris Paul is damn near pushing 40. I mean, he's in his late 30s. Russell is in his mid-30s and still doesn't understand certain things that point guards are supposed to do as far as pace is concerned and having perfect vision to make the plays that need to be made. It's just the situation that the Lakers are in is not good. And having Russell playing the way that he's been playing at, it doesn't add any sort of solution to the the team that they have. This team is very old to begin with. It got older when they traded Kyle Kuzma, Matras Harrell, and uh, KCP for somebody who has been a up-and-down point guard like Russell Westbrook the last couple of years. Overall, this situation for LA is not good. I don't think it's going to bode well for them moving into the future because this roster is so old. And really, when it comes down to it, this team is going to have a huge and hard reset once either Braun leaves, Westbrook leaves, and all these older guys off the roster leave because they don't have a lot to work with. I mean, outside of Malik Monk and Taylor Horton Tucker and Austin Reeves, this team is old, bro. Like, it would be a God squad if it was in 2012, but this is 2022. These guys are at the end of their respective careers. And Russell is just somebody that you just can't rely on anymore. It's unfortunate because I think Russell is... I don't have anything personally against him. I think he's I think he's a good dude. But at this point, he's a shell of himself. And he's doing more to hurt the team than to help it. And for the Lakers though, they have their hands tied their behind their they have their hands tied behind their back on this one. But they got to reap what they sow. They traded for him. They knew what they were getting, and this is the result. So, at the end of the day, they got to suck it up. It is what it is. And I know a lot of Russell Westbrook fans, personally, too. A lot of good friends of mine just love his energy, his athleticism, oh, yeah. the highlights, his personality, him off the court. The, the, Russell there's, Westbrook, nothing, the, there's nothing I have wrong personally with him. The, exactly. It's, this is performance. Listen, I have his stats up, right? I'm, I just, like, during your whole point while listening, I was taking a deep dive. By no means is Russell Westbrook a shell of himself. Kyle, I disagree with you completely because oh, I do. 
I do. And in, in, in four of the last six seasons, he's averaged a triple double. In one of those seasons, he won an MVP. Those numbers statistically have not changed aside from points per game because he's getting less looks because he's not the primary ball carrier. He is actually at the lowest points per game since his second year, which was in 2009. And a lot of those was Russell learning how to come into the league. He was 20, 21 years old. He was playing alongside Kevin Durant and James Harden. Like That was a lot of mouths to feed back in the day. And in this particular case, that's what's happening this year. When on the court, you have AD, you have LeBron James. Like He is not a first, second, and sometimes, depending on how he's shooting, not even a third option on the court. And we've talked about that multiple times. He's still averaging seven assists and seven rebounds. He's actually averaging less turnovers this year than he was last year. His field goal percentage is the exact same it's been for the majority of his career at 43%. He's shooting a little bit worse from three, uh, of course, as a unit. He's shooting literally dead even at 30%. But again, it's like we've talked about. He just cannot accept a lesser role, and he can't turn the dial down from the speed of the pace that he's playing at. L.A. is not a run-and-gun team. L.A. does not have the personnel to run the break like he's used to with the personnel that he's had alongside him in his career. When you also contribute into that, the injuries the Lakers have had, it's a big problem of the front office. I'm looking at Rob Palenka specifically, and I'm saying, yo, dude, look what you did. Like, you took away every ounce of youth of this team. You took the biggest gamble in the world for one of the worst contracts in NBA history and said, you know what? I'm going to roll the dice and I'm going to take the highs on this super, super low trade. Not that Russell Westbrook's not an all-star, not that Russell Westbrook doesn't have the potential to be an incredible player, but for the team that you've put around and assembled in Los Angeles at this particular point in his career and the rest of theirs, this is a formula for disaster. But again, Russell Westbrook is still putting up consistent numbers that he has for the majority of his career percentage-wise. But I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm not going to sit here and say performance-wise that he hasn't taken a step down, but a shell of himself, I definitely wouldn't use those terms. I would. Because, like, to me, the reason why I use that term is it's not numbers-based. It's what I'm seeing. It's the shot part. Because... This is not an issue of effort. I don't want to, I don't want to, this is not an issue of effort. This is an issue of execution. 150% every, every play with him. Because to me, you know, it's one thing to miss a shot. It's another thing entirely to hit the top of the backboard and not even be close. Like that's what I mean as far as like a shell of himself, because like, if you're going to miss a shot, if you miss it close, it's one thing, but there have been multiple times where Russell is off, not just by like a couple inches, but like feet. And when it comes to shooting, granted, I know that hasn't really been one of Russell's strengths. You know, really Russell's strengths is probably just driving downhill and making the most of it at the rim. Now he, he does like that little pop jump shot that he likes to do and like where he takes like one or two dribbles and then pops, tries to pop it. And even this year, those shots have not been falling consistently. It's just, to me, with the way that I've seen some of those shots miss horribly, that's where it's definitely taken a step back because his accuracy, his accuracy is so off on some of those shots. 
where he's becoming a freaking meme on Twitter. Not just like once every like couple months, like once a week where it's like, oh, somebody like Barstool will go on Twitter and say, oh, Russell's cooking. And then it's a shot where literally the ball hits the top of the backboard. So when I'm talking about a shell of himself, I'm not talking about effort. I'm not talking about really his overall, like just going out there on the court and trying to perform. I'm not saying that, but his shooting to me, despite what the numbers say, I think it's become a shell of himself. That's how I see it. Because it's like I said, it's one thing if you miss, like every, listen, everybody's going to miss shots. Yeah. The way that he's missing shots, that is the most concerning element to me because that tells me that it's in his head. And if he's not able to find a solution to that sooner rather than later, Russell's going to keep bouncing around the league. Russell's already bounced around a couple teams the last four straight years. years on four new teams. So that tells me that it's going to continue because he's going to be gone after this year. There's no way that the Lakers are going to keep him after this year. It's over. I know. I know. I know they're trying to move him, but they're idiots for taking him on. I mean, this is almost like. This was almost like a Jim Buss type move, bringing him on, knowing what he was going to bring. Just because he just can't shoot consistently anymore. I know he hasn't been like that consistent of a shooter, like a mid-range jump shooter to begin with. But, I mean, you know, trading some younger pieces like Harold, Kuzma, and KCP, not a good look, bro. And then you bring guys in like freaking Trevor Reza and DeAndre Jordan who barely get any burn anyway. Unless, unless you're like Trevor Reza who actually got some burn the other day when they played the Knicks. Really the only salvageable part that they were able to pick up this offseason was Malik Monk. Malik Monk has been one of the more consistent players for the Lakers the entire year. I mean, the guy damn near dropped 30 against the Knicks the other night in 39 minutes. That's a guy to build around. Because at least he's young and he's got something to prove. Russell's going out there and just wasting the opportunities that he's had. You know, that's that that's where things stand right now. And I just don't see a scenario this year where the Lakers are going to be able to move him off before the trade deadline. It's not going to happen. If dude, somebody were to... Dude, he's owed $47 million with a player option. He's opting in, bro. Y'all stuck with him another year. No one's taking a $50 million cap hit. You're bugging. I don't care what the Lakers offer. Unless AD's in that trade, bro, I don't give a fuck what team it is. 50 mil, bro, for a 34-year-old, you're out of your... Even if it's for one year, that's like a quarter of team's cap. Try to you're screwed. You, you could try to send it back to Houston or something. I, I mean, I don't know. There's... You send him to Orlando. You could send him somewhere. Bro, it's... <laughs> it ain't happening, bro. It's not uh, happening. Forty-seven million dollars, bro. He's gonna say, you know what? Y'all want to trade me? Y'all gonna have well, to buy me out. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I could definitely see him getting moved. I mean, think of all of this. Think of all this hubbub that's been around Ben Simmons for the last couple of months. Yet there's still some sort of trade interest. Granted, I don't. Know. I don't think Philly has that kind of money, bro. Yeah, but it's like. 
despite like Ben Simmons' current situation, there's still some sort of trade value with him. Now with Russell, Russell's a little bit different because he's older and it's because of the cap hit. Do you think a team would be stupid enough to actually do it? I wouldn't put it past one team to do it. I wouldn't put it past anybody to do it. I'm saying I think that's stupid. I'm just it saying genu- I, I, I think genuinely y'all going to have to stick with that or at least pay a big portion of it. Or do we bite, bro, the, bullet, or do we bite the bullet and you fucking buy, wave you buy him? him out. Bro, you buy, you buy him, him out. out. Yeah, because that's where I think it's going to end up going. I think, and you got to buy him out, out but you, you buy him out, that's going to be more than 60% of that contract that's due to him. Because a buyout is like obviously you're paying him a good portion of the remainder of it. Well, I mean, it's either that or or you risk him opting in, and it's a fifty million hit for next year. Well, it's forty seven and change. What's the player option? Part. What's the player option for next year? Forty seven and change. I mean, it's damn near fifty. Forty, yeah, forty seven mil, basically forty seven million sixty three thousand. So, so take sixty percent of that. I would rather. I mean, it's probably thirty it's still, million dollars. It's it's still upwards of thirty million dollars. Yeah. So but then that's that's dead cat money. You can't utilize that. So I mean, the rest of the what seventeen million can go to I guess like remaining players. But you got, you at got, the end, of, listen, you're you're gonna bite the bullet one way or another. It's either yeah. you buy him out, and that's just twenty five thirty million dollars that you just can't use. Just take the hit, or you take the hit. If he does opt in with that 47 mil. He's opting and, and, in, bro. There's no player in the world that would opt out I, of 47 free million dollars. I think they're going to buy him out before then. I don't think they're going to take the gamble. Unless, because here's the thing. I mean, they're going to be desperate to find a team to trade for before the trade deadline. Now, if they could trade him, that's the best case scenario. They get him off their books. Or he they get him off. Next whatever. year's books. Yeah. So... I think that's really kind of the biggest thing right now. If they can find a suitor to trade for, uh, to trade with him, they got to do that now. But I, I, yeah, I think you'd be committing. Think you'd Don't be even say committing it. suicide for freaking oh, your payroll next year if you bring on a guy like Russ. I mean, it's just a stupid financial move. It's just not smart. I mean, Kevin, we're not GMs. No, and, by no means, absolutely not. We don't know uh, all the legalities and all the things that happen with GMs. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going at Rob Palinka because of what he's assembled and but, what he's dealing it's with. Like, now. But it's like you could look at the situation. It's like this is not worth it. Tr- worth trading for a guy in his mid thirties has a cap hit of damn near fifty million dollars, who's hitting the side of the backboard with jump shots. We we were making a big fuss of the whole cap hit that Chris Paul had when he went to the Suns. <laughs> But he is producing. Ball, he's balling out. Russell is doing like maybe a quarter of that, if that. He's producing like maybe like once a week. Hey, based on man. some of the performance. The, the, the amount of like, thin we can put on this. Maybe you can send him to Dallas. No, get the fuck out of here. Um, <laughs> the, amount of spin, the, the amount of spin we can put on this is endless. My final point to all you Westbrook fans. Um, you really can't have an excuse anymore because it's really gotten to the point where, well, he can't play with this person or he's the alpha. He can't play on this team or this coach didn't like him or the GM didn't like him. In Russell's career, he has played with more all-stars than Dirk has his entire career. Like 
Dirk got a championship. And I know that I'm making a Dallas comparison, but I'm just saying, like, let that sink in. You played with Kevin Durant, James Harden, Serge Ibaka, Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, James Harden, LeBron James, Anthony Davis. There is, like, absolutely – Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal, Victor Oladipo. Like, what excuses can you provide this man? Honestly, like, if you really think about it, he has never been a person that can shoot. Totally understandable. Fine. Not a lot of people can, and that's totally fine. He's averaged a triple-double for the last basically four or five seasons. Congratulations. Has he done anything outside of the first round in the postseason in the last five years? No. Has he single-handedly willed a team to get to the postseason? Yes. OKC multiple times. Washington last year with Bradley Beal. Uh, him and James Harden were doing absolutely incredible. What an MVP. He's, he's a great singular player. Now, James Harden is selfish on and off the court. Russell Westbrook just can't do He's not a player that's going to go win. He's got to be teamed up with somebody. And for people to make the argument, Russell hasn't had a fair shot. Or Russell's always had a hard go about things. You can't. You, you get, mm, like, I'm not giving you guys that excuse anymore. Because you could look at it and say, well, Washington's team around them, other than Bradley Beal, was kind of cheeks. And you know what? Kevin Durant did take a lot of shots back in the day when they were in Oklahoma City. Well, James Harden really did make it all about him. Like, how many more excuses are you going to rattle off before you say, Russell Westbrook is a guy that's going to get you to the playoffs? Russell Westbrook's not a guy that's going to carry you to hoist up that trophy at the end of the season. And that's fine. He needs some assistance, and that's just going to be the legacy that he leaves behind. Triple doubles, absolutely phenomenal. Stat padding stats, great. Highlight real athleticism, cool beans. Russell Westbrook is an average player, and the fact that he is hyped up the way that he is or has been, bro, you could do all the fucking things you want in an 82-game season. If you can't get out the first round, the first round, bro, you suck. Like, I'm sorry, bro. You suck. And I'm going to be bold. Y'all can come at me in the comments sideways. My man got himself a ring at seven feet, slow as shit, and unathletic. So there ain't nothing you going to tell me about my guy as opposed to your superstar and he ain't won a damn thing in his career. So that's right. I said it. Come at me I, in the comments. Y'all all finna lose. I mean, I mean, for you to say, like, at once he was like a superstar, and now for you to call him just average, I mean, that's why I said he was a shell of himself. Because, I mean, because at one point, I mean, Russell was superstar. Legitimate baller. Top 10 and, player in the league at one point, yes. And with the way that he's been playing? That's why I said what I said. Like, I'm not going to take it back either. No, it's and just... uh, again, I'm, I'm talking about the Russell Westbrook fans. I'm not talking about the fact that he has been playing bad um, in general. We all know that. Um, my point was for the sheer fact that this man and these fans will make excuses for everything that he does or everything that has happened to him in his career. Mm -hmm. been on four teams in four years there's a problem here there's a consistency here he's, bro he's on there's that a journeyman. reason he's on that journeyman route carmelo hey, went i i don't care let's see carmelo was shafted that's a whole different story i know that's, I, I will not even allow that comparison that's not what i'm saying i'm just saying about the path i i can understand the circumstances around carmelo i'm just saying it's just once you get on that journeyman path it's it's hard to get off of it bro and actually stay with the team for a long-term 
deal or something like that. It, it's just it is what it is in that. It, but, it don't even matter, bro. The Lakers are struggling to find themselves. Russell Westbrook playing like dog shit. The, 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 the trade deadline is like a week away. LeBron's old. Yeah, well, a- I mean, is like, fragile. Yeah, there's a lot of shit going on right now. So, I mean, there's yeah, a lot of buzz going around the league with Ben Simmons and James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Some big names looking to be moved in a couple of days. So, we're going to keep you guys updated. The Super Bowl is thankfully a week away. Thankfully, but at the same time, not thankfully. I'm conflicted on how to feel about that because I know once it's over, it's over. Um, but there's a lot of shit happening. Obviously, the NBA All-Star Game is coming up as well. Not excited about those festivities as I used to be, but overall, there are some great names in that game. So hopefully, it's a little bit more competitive than it has been. I just, I don't know. I have my fingers crossed every year, but I don't think that's going to happen either. Come on. I know. Hey, listen, I try to be positive here. Um, at least they're actually playing their damn sport as opposed to football players fucking poking each other and saying you're it. Like, that <laughs> shit is corny. I, I mean, hell, if you breathe on the guy wrong in the NBA, that's how you're, it goes. I, you're, hey, you're, you're not wrong, but they're, they're a lot less to call fouls in the All-Star game just because nobody's really trying to hit anybody. I just they're playing, at, they're playing at 75% speed until literally like until the, the fourth. two minutes of the game. Yeah. Oh, no, I would say the last, like, six or seven, depending on the point spread. You know, if it's, like, within a 15-point game, you know, if you pull a couple of threes from the logo like Lillard and Steph did last year, who the hell knows what's going to happen? Yeah, we'll see. I, I don't have as much faith as you do, but we'll see. I didn't say faith. I just had my fingers crossed. You know, I'm trying to hope. I'm trying to be positive. The <laughs> NFL was let me down. Fuck, if the that NBA was a, that was a disgrace. That was a disgrace. That was a disgrace. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do if the NBA lets me down. I mean, for God's sake, the MLB All-Star game cannot be the most competitive fucking All-Star game in all of sports, or the NHL for that matter, because this is ridiculous. The two most exciting leagues in sports are the two wackest All-Star games in sports. That is that is embarrassing. I know. But, um, Kev, I think, uh, I think we knocked everything out, my guy. That's about that's about it. I think it's like one thirty in the morning. Um, we're tired as shit, but I was kind of going off on that, so I'm a little awake now. Yeah, I know. Don't worry. Give it like five ten minutes after we're done. One hundred percent. The second I put my head in that bed, it's a wrap. <laughs> yeah, it's over. It's, but um, no, I think that's um, that's all we got. So, you know, as per usual, uh, we always appreciate you guys uh tuning into the Neighborhood Podcast, whether it's you guys tuning in on the audio platforms like Spotify or Apple Podcasts or watching our YouTube content, watching our segments, watching our full-length episodes. Uh, we definitely appreciate you guys and the support that you've been giving. Um, as far as a preview for the rest of the week, um, basically, you know, Super Bowl is coming uh, next weekend. So we will do our predictions on the Friday episode, so that'll definitely be fun. Um got some NBA trade deadline news that'll probably be coming up towards the end of the week so we'll definitely keep an eye on that um the Olympics are going on right now I haven't Currently, really right paid, I haven't really paid a lot of attention to it but, Nor have um, I. but uh definitely uh stay up to date with that um I think they'll be going on for the next two and a half weeks or so so that'll be interesting and um yeah we'll keep you guys in the loop if anything else pops up with that Alvin Kamara story um, I imagine we'll get some more details uh, within the next couple of days or so. So we may talk, talk about that a little bit later this week, but Kevin, that's all I got. So the floor is yours, my guy, carry us on home. Hey guys, as always, thank you for everything. Um, numbers have been good consistency. Kyle and I are happy, always looking to do better. 
Uh, you know, hopefully we're able to adjust from the dry spell that we had last year with the lack of NFL news. We will figure it out. We always do. Uh, we're a lot more prepared than we were last year trying to figure it out in our first year. We're literally coming up on a year that we've been doing this. Uh, could not be happier. Uh, obviously, you know, scheduling is a little bit of a complication. We've had some technical difficulties, but I mean, what startup company, what startup business doesn't? So uh, we're working through it. We're having a great time. We're thankful for you guys. Fan entertainment has been great. I mean, you guys, whenever you guys want to put some comments up, <laughs> we're always ready to rebuttal. So like I said, uh, wouldn't be here without you guys. But without further ado, it's getting late. Y'all don't got to go home, but y'all got to get the fuck up out of here. Guys, y'all have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you soon. Yes, sir. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Cast. Hey, what's happening out there, everybody? This is Lawrence Ross, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about my podcast, The Lawrence Ross Show. Egomaniac. It's a two-hour weekly exploration into my mind. I also do sketches, celebrity impersonations. You're out of order! And I also do song parodies. Not too shabby for a blind guy. Not only are you visually impaired, but you are geographically impaired. New episodes are released every Friday. Check it out on your favorite podcasting platform or listen to it here on Society 13 on Electrocast.